Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. You're not meant to just be someone who goes goes to church on like Thursday night or on Sunday and lives a good Christian and goes to heaven and you're like, woo, we're actually also a hell free card. Like that's not, that is not the cap of Christianity. Like you're actually also mobilized to go into your school or into your job or, or, or heaven and drag us uh, where, wherever you are and bring it back to life. You know, like I want to get into heaven and drag as many people with me as possible. Like I don't want to just be like, I made it. Like I want to be like, I got this my tied to my ankle with a thousand other people like <laughs> got pulled in, right? Like that's what I want my life to be in because I believe we're called to bring life and revival wherever we go. Um, so we've been doing a series on this, and last week, where is uh, where's Mrs. Groves? Oh, she is. <laughs> I call her I call her Mrs. Groves because uh, she just got married. Like I think you had your one month. You know, yes, you're ready for like your first book. I bet you know one month in. I bet. <laughs> anyway, they're awesome. They they are two independently two of my best friends for years, and then they found each other and fell in love and got married, and it's like oh yay, you know. So Emily uh, last. Last week, she actually brought an awesome word that to be a revivalist, super awesome, get really focus on loving others, right? And that, that was the title of it. It was super awesome. Get it on the Crux podcast. It's called the Crux Cast. Uh, you can get it. You, I really encourage you listen to it. I was listening to it and I was just like, oh dang. In my youth group more, you know, and, and it was super, super good. And actually it was totally the Lord because in my youth group that same night, I was talking on this message, radical love. And so she's like, I just feel like God's on this thing about love. And I'm like, yep, totally. You know? And uh, so basically uh, I was like, and I'm talking about that next week. So it's almost like we're in this big series of revivalists, but there's almost a part two to this little mini love series inside of it, you know? And so tonight is called Radical Love. Everyone say radical. Radical, man. Radical. Did anyone know what radical means? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> a radical is actually something that is, uh, if you look up the definition, it's something that doesn't fit into the normal. So it's actually, the, there's radical cells in your body are cells that they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing something different, right? And they say, dude, it's radical. Get it out, right? So what, what it means though, in the good context, is that there's this society that says, this is what's normal. This is what you're supposed to do. And you're like, no, actually to be a real Christian is to be radical in your society, right? Because Christianity, it, it, it is this, if you look at the original disciples, they didn't just like go to church on Sunday and then tithe. They like infected everywhere they went. <laughs> like they'd go into a place and just, they would either get kicked out or threatened or the place would go up in revival and everyone would come to Jesus. It's like, oh dang, okay. <laughs> like they only had two things, either get kicked out or revival would break out. And you're just like, that is not my Christian life, you know? And so you look at it, right? And they were radical in the society that they were in. And so that's why I want to focus on radical love and what that means, what that looks like and how we really walk that in our life. Uh, something I love is stories. So I'm going to tell you a story real quick. Um, I, about a year ago, I actually was not a pastor. I was um, 
I was volunteering here, helping out at the college group and at, and at the, the youth group and stuff. Uh, and I was a waiter over at a uh, place in San Marcos and then all over at the Olive Garden in uh, Escondido. The OG is what we called it. And so basically, we were. I was at Olive Garden. I would get off super late. You'd have that guy come in at like 10.30 or, at, or no, it was like, we close at 10. So 9.58, and he walks in the door and is like, I'm ready for pasta. And you're like... Who does that? Like, who comes into Olive Garden at 10 at night looking for pasta? You know, you're like, bro, no. You're like, I'm going to be here for two more hours. And so basically what happened is I'd have these nights. I'd get off at like 1 in the morning, right? And you're like, dude, that dude loves soup. He just kept asking for a refill, like, right? And so basically I'd get off. You'd get your tip money. And it, it, for me, I honestly just didn't trust myself that I, that money would still be in my wallet tomorrow. So I would go right to the bank and I would deposit it so that that way I don't buy a burrito on the way home and, you know, kind of a thing. And so I would go and I was going to the bank, going over to my my trusted bank and basically I'm pulling in and I'm wearing the full on like the little the little apron thing and like the nice long sleeve shirt and like like trying to be clean shaven and stuff and and basically I, I pull up and I get to the ATM and basically I'm in my car about to get out and I look over there's a dude standing right next to the ATM it's not just an ordinary guy this dude is definitely been homeless, right? He is like, he's got one of the carts, all this random stuff's inside of the cart, and he's sitting there and he's just yelling. Like he's sitting by his car just, ah! like yelling. And I like, I pulled up and I go, nope. <laughs> and I, I lock my door, roll up my window. And I'm like, I'll deposit my money tomorrow. Like <laughs> I'm just, this is sketchy. I don't want to, I don't want to walk next to him like with money in my hand and like deposit it, right? And I remember just like, nah, nah, I'm not, nah, that's stupid, I'm not doing that. And so basically I, get, I, I, I start to pull out. On my way out, I felt like the Lord say, can I or can you love him? And I was like, nah, he's sketchy. <laughs> like, you know, that was the first thought that went to my mind, just being real. And I, and I felt like the Lord said, and I was like, God, I'm going to get like shanked. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get stabbed tonight. You know, it's like midnight. I'm out here alone. I got a wad of cash in my hand and there's this homeless guy just screaming. You know, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy, you know, who gets stabbed in Escondido late at night. And so I, I said, God, no, I don't want to. And he said, uh, and I said, it's not safe. And then I felt like, isn't the safest place for you to be right where I'm asking you to be? And I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> like, you know, dang it. You know, isn't where I'm asking you to go the safest place for you? You know, and I'm like, uh, right. And I'm like, on paper, that sounds great. Take notes. The safest place is in the middle of God's will. But in real life, when God's asking you to do this, you're just like, no, this isn't safe, right? And so, but I pulled out and I actually felt so convicted. I turned around, drove all the way back and I drove up to him, okay? I drive up to him and I basically, I wish I could say I was like this heroic man who got out. I was like, hey man, you need Jesus. But I didn't. I rolled up to him and I rolled down the window like a crack down. And I was like, Hey, <laughs> lock, doors locked. Immediately, he sees me, walks right up to the window and puts his hand in the window. He's like, hey, man, like super friendly, like shake my hand. <laughs> and I'm like, and I roll down the window and like shake his hand, right? And I'm like, oh gosh, I thought I was just, I thought he was like gonna shoot me or something. I was so, I was like, <gasps> and then he's like, hey. Like, oh gosh, <laughs> right? And then and I'm like, hi, um, this is random, but can I buy you some food? You know? And, and he was like, yeah, that'd be great. And I looked over and Del Taco's right next to me. So I was like, you want Del Taco? And he's like, sure. 
I'll get, you know, this whatever, this burrito and whatever. And I was like, okay, and you want fries? And he's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, all right, stay here. And I drove and I got him food and I bought myself food and I came back. And this time I was confident. I got out of the car with my bag, you know, food. I'm like, he at least has to like finish his food before I get hurt or something. So I'm going to sit with him and eat my food, right? And so basically I, I come up to him and he's just sitting on this curb and, and he's just is like, he's like, hey. And I give him food and I said, hey, do you mind if I eat with you? And he looks at me so confused, and he says, yeah, that would be awesome. And I sit down, sit down next to him. We're on the curb. I'm in my full, I just look like such a white boy. I'm like sitting there, all dress, all like nice dressed and apron and like clean shaven, eating a burrito next to this homeless dude who's like screaming and looks all like crazy. And we're just sitting there on the curb at like one in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like, so how's life, you know? And uh, basically, uh, I talked to him, he says, uh, I said something to him. And he said, you know, I'm sorry if you heard me screaming. I have this horrible amount of pain in my mouth. I have a tooth that's cracked and messed up, and it's in so much pain, I don't know what to do. And so I basically, I gave him ibuprofen, and then I prayed for him. And the minute I said, well, can I pray for you? He said, I knew you were a Christian. And I, and I was like, uh, really? Like, is it what I'm wearing? Like, how do you know? Like, <laughs> you know? And, and I was like, how? How did you know? And he said, because only a Christian would stop at midnight and ask me how I'm doing. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, he's like, yeah, only, only a Christian would really stop to do what you just did. Thank you so much. And I ended up talking to him. He just, got, he just got out of jail, trying to turn his life around, has no family, living on the streets because the, they just kind of kicked him out. He's trying to find a job, doesn't know what to do. He was, he was worried about getting addicted to drugs again. And I sit there on the, the side of the road and I, and I pray with him and ask for all addictions to go away in Jesus' name. And he gives his life to the Lord. And we come up with a strategy for this man to like apply to goodwill. They might take you and then work your way up and get a job. And he's excited and he's stoked and he gives his life to the Lord and he says, yes, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it, right? This, and this man has a moment where his life changes. And I was so thankful I didn't take the safe route. <laughs> I was so happy, man, that I didn't, that I listened to God. You see, this is what it looks like to have radical love, Love that people say, yeah, love is just love your neighbor, be nice to them. No, no, no. Love is like at one in the morning stopping for someone who looks sketchy and choosing to buy them food. Like love is, is it's inconvenient. It's not comfortable. You, know, you see, love, it's not a feeling. It's, you know, it's more than a feeling. Like, that's that song from, my, from Boston. If you guys know that song, it's a 70s song. They knew love was more than just a feeling. That, that it is actually a choice. You see, in our society, so often we think that love is like this, like, this, like, fairy tale, lovey-dovey thing, like, ooh, yay, you know, and it can be a feeling, uh, but, but the problem is we, we move based on our feelings, and then when the feeling goes away, we say that we're out of love, and a lot of times people get divorced, and they say, we just kind of fell out of love, like, I don't know, I just, I just don't love you anymore. It's because we think love is a feeling when actuality, love is a choice. And, and the emotion of love, I believe, is a fruit of the choice of love. You choose it, and out of planting that tree of love, the fruit is the feeling that begins to come out. So often, though, love is, is radical. It's this choosing to give 
even when it's inconvenient, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense. And, and by realizing that, that it, it's a choice, this means, this, this actually sets me free. Because if love is a feeling, that means if you're a jerk to me, I don't have to love you anymore. <laughs> right? And that means I'm bound by my feelings and how you make me feel. But if love is a choice, then that means, that, that means it doesn't matter what you act to me. I can still love you. Do you guys see how, how when you make love a choice, it actually becomes this thing that transcends everything else. That, that it doesn't matter if you don't like me, I can still love you. It doesn't matter if you're a really bad person, I can still love you. It doesn't even matter if you're like completely someone who offends me, someone who curses me out, someone who, who, who's totally like of a different political party than me, like, oh man, you know, who cares? I can love you. Even if you're completely like, think of someone just totally that we don't like them, like someone who's totally racist and is totally vulgar and is totally just mean and all these kind of things. I'm still free to love you because love is a choice, man. This is how Jesus is sitting there and, and, and when he's on the cross getting nails just plunged into his hands and his wrists, he can say, Father, forgive them. Who was them? The guy hitting nails into his wrists. And he says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That, does, that looks like love to me. And that shows me love is not a feeling. Because I bet you his human side did not feel like forgiving the guy who was nailing him. And so are we able to not have just a shallow love that, that just goes with our feelings or goes with our offenses or goes with our uh, uh, people who are like us? Or are we willing to let our love mature into a place of whether you even are nailing me, I can love you? This is radical love. This is the love that I believe you have inside of you and you are called to and you are designed for. How do I know that? Because when you gave your life to Jesus, he stepped inside of you. And this is him saying that, which means you can have the ability to tap into this or not. This means there's no excuse for not forgiving somebody. Oh, dang, you like, I just can't do it. Jesus can though, and he's inside of you. This means I can't hold grudges anymore because Jesus didn't. And he's in me now. And, and so this is First uh, John 4, 8. It says, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Love is not even just a choice. It's actually a person. It's Jesus. And I want to go even as far as I say this means. The part says, but anyone who does not love does not know God. This means that any area of my life where I don't know how to love somebody is the same area of my life I do not know God in. You can know God. You can be saved, go to heaven. You know, I got my get out hell free card. Woo! You know, like you can, you can have all of that and still not know a piece of God's heart. Still not fully know him. In any area I am not able to tap into love, I do not know God in. This means that if I go by a homeless person and I'm just like, nah, I really have a hard time loving them, God. Then it's like, well, then you means they don't know me in that area of like what I think about homeless people. 
This means that if you're like Republican and they're Democratic, or you're Democratic and they're Republican, or you're independent and you just don't like all, you don't like either, or if you're the guy who's just like, I don't even believe in voting, you know, it doesn't matter. Like wherever you're at, doesn't matter where the other one's at. If you say, I have a problem with them, I don't like them, if you're not in my political party, then we can't be friends, that means you do not know God in that area, and you do not know his view on politics. Because if you cannot love the other side, then that means you do not know God's love for the other side, which means you've cut half of the people out of the world that you're able to love. <laughs> you know, like that's crazy, guys. This means, this means, I'm gonna go real deep with this, even with people that like, uh, well, the shallow side is people who annoy you. You know, your roommate, your, the college teacher, the teacher who's an atheist and it says you're stupid for being a Christian, you know, or, or, or that roommate that is just like, dude, come on, come party with me, man. And you're just like, nah, right? If you are saying, I can't love them. I just can't love them. I can't love them. That means you don't know God in their life. Does that make sense? Because to, to, it, for anyone who does not know love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. That means I don't know the person of Jesus in any area I'm not willing to love somebody. This is radical love, man. This is the stuff that changes everything. You see, oh man, Jesus is inside of me. He's like, he was like, pull over, Taylor. I'm like, no, I don't want to love that guy. He's like, pull over. I'm like, he's scary. Pull over. He's going to shank me. Pull over. No, I'm just this white boy in Escondido in the middle of the night. I'm scared. And pull over, man. <laughs> like, and I had a choice to either say, shut up, Jesus, and shove him down. Or I had a choice to say, okay, fine, I'll let you out. I'll try to know you, God, in this area of my life. <laughs> right? And it's very real, it's very raw, it's very scary, right? I believe all the heroes in the Bible were terrified. I believe they have that in common, right? But all of them had one greater thing in common is that they chose to trust God and step out. We read heroes of the faith, they're like, dude, they were so manly. No, dude, there's times where God says to Joshua, the great general, he says, why are you groveling? Stand up like a man. Like that is not, that does not sound like a man who is like the conqueror. Like he's like on his face crying, like, God, I'm scared, right? And God, God has to say to him like 10 times, be strong and courageous. Why? Would he say that to somebody who's courageous? No, he was terrified half the time, right? But he chose to tap in to something greater. He chose to tap in to love. I love, have you guys seen this, uh, that movie, Les Miserables? Only Hugh Jackman, right? And then your five minutes movie, you're like, this whole thing's a musical. Oh, dang. All right. <laughs> right? And you're watching, and you're like, dang, they're singing the whole time. Here we go. Oh, three hours. Here we go. Right? But there's this song. There's this part of the song where it's the very, very end. If you made it to the end, it's a beautiful story. And there's this part, check this out, where they're singing. And he says, and remember, as it was written, to love another person is to see the face of God. It's way more beautiful. See the face of God, right? And, but it's like, to love another person is to see the face of God. There was this beauty when I'm sitting there in the ghetto with a burrito with a homeless man and I'm scared. When I looked at him, I saw a piece of God that I would have never found in the church building. This is radical love, guys. This is what keeps you alive. This, may, this is not boring, Christianity. Everyone says Christianity is just boring and a bunch of rules. Oh, dude, it's terrifying. <laughs> like, it's scary because he's asking you to step out. So we're going to go into a story. You guys still doing okay? 
I believe, I'm just trying to pull it. I believe Jesus is already inside of you. So there's this radical love in you, but sometimes we callous him over. And so tonight, my goal is just to like poke at it until it pulls the callus off and you just realize I have this radical man, Jesus, inside of me and he's just wanting to get out and radically touch the world around him because that's who I believe you are as a Christian. So here we go. Um, Point one, I have one point, one point tonight and it's a good one, I believe. (laughs) You are called to radically love the unlovable. You are called to radically love, say it with me. Say, I am called to radically love the unlovable. Oh, it's so easy to love people who are lovable. That's why they're called lovable. But man, when they're mean and they don't agree with you and they're, they're genuinely messed up people, Dude, it's hard, and that's where we need Jesus. So I want to give you a story. Go ahead. If you have your Bibles, we're going to step into Luke chapter 10 tonight. This is where we're going to park really for the rest of the night and go through this story uh, together, okay? Uh, and if you've heard this story, I want to challenge you to open, your, like, open up and say, God, I've heard this story before, but I want something new out of it. Basically, to set some context, is Jesus is walking, and he is a man who is an expert in the religious law, and he comes up to Jesus, and he basically says, hey, He's trying to trick Jesus pretty much and like embarrass him in front of people and get him stumped and things like that. And so he basically says, hey, what, is, what, what do I have to do to get saved? Like, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And, and, the, and Jesus says to him, like pretty much, this is a Taylor paraphrase version, but he pretty much says like, what do you say? Like, what, what's the law say? What do you think? And he says, well, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, that's right. Do that and you'll live right? But that's not good enough for the man who's kind of like, oh, that's it? Okay. So he asked Jesus one more question. He says, well, well, you said your neighbor, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus, rather than being like, your neighbor's the dude who lives next door to you, who brings you jello and is like, hey, welcome to the neighborhood, right? That's what we think when we think of neighbor, right? Maybe I do, right? But, uh, or you might think of, dude, that's that person who you're like, stop walking. You know, you're in your apartment or your dorm and they're just like, it's like they're rolling bowling balls around on top of the roof and you're like, what are you doing up there, right? You know, it's like, yeah, it's like there's a 200 pound baby trying to walk on top and you're like, what is going on? Stop it, right? That might be your view of neighbor. You just hear that you see this stuff, right? You're like, what is going on, right? So they say, tell us, Jesus, who is our neighbor, okay? And this is what Jesus says. He says, well, let me tell you a story. (laughs) All right, here we go. It says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Okay, just to know when he says, people don't know this in our culture in America, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was sketchy, (laughs) it was long, it was steep, it was curved, and it was known for bandits hanging inside of it and jumping out and mugging you, okay? So so when they said, oh yeah, Jesus said there's this guy going on the road, he gets mugged. Part of them are like, pfft. That's why you go around that road. Like, everyone knows that. Like, that's the road where, where you know, mom is like, honey, can you lock the doors? <laughs> and he's like, Duh. like, you know, like everyone knows that. So they're not surprised. The crowd is like, Okay, yeah, that was stupid. Why'd he do that, right? So he goes down, he gets mugged, okay? So picture yourself, picture a good Christian guy, okay? So picture, picture Mitchell over here, going down, good Christian dude. He's in some ghetto area in LA or something like that, and he's going through and he gets mugged. And we're like, dude, why'd you go alone at night through the streets of LA? 
duh, you totally got mugged, right? But he gets beaten up. This part, the next verse, it says, they strip him of his clothes, beat him up, and leave him half dead beside the road. Dang. This is not like, dude, give you your money. This is like they just thrash him and they leave him in the gutter. This is where it's at. It says, by chance, a priest came along. Why is it chance? Because that's like supposed to be a God-forsaken spot. Like the fact that a priest would be walking by is like, whoa. So he's like, by chance, a priest would come along. So this is where the people's reactions are. They're like, oh, thank God. A pastor's here. A priest is here. So picture Mitchell just dead, laying in the road, half dead, half alive, right? Just destroyed. Perfect. Perfect. And then you see, then you see, then you see me, the pastor, come walking by. And the crowd's here in the story. And they're like, oh, good. The pastor's here. He's going to save him, right? And, and then Jesus, this is what he says. He says, but when he saw him lying there, you're doing great. Keep it up. When, when, when he saw him lying there, he crossed to the other side. So it's like me walking up and being like, and walking over here. The crowd, their reaction would have been like, that's messed up. Like, you're the pastor. What are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be the one to help him, and you just cross to the other side? That's what it would have been. You're doing, yeah, you've done great, man. You're good. You can, you can hang out or you can get up. It doesn't matter. You're doing great. You're doing great. I might need you to be dead. I might need you to be dead in a second again, okay? So I'll let you know. All right, so it says, but we saw him, he crossed the other side. So people are like, that's crazy. But really, is it that crazy? Is it? Because all of us, all the time, we see the person we don't want to talk to. We walk to the other side of the road. We see the person who's too inconvenient. We see the person who maybe they're not actually beat up physically, but we know they're emotionally messed up. We don't want to be around them. We see the people who've hurt us. We see people we know, oh, dude, I saw them at the party. Dude, they were doing crazy stuff. I'm going to be over here. Like, we say this is crazy, but we do this all the time. Even me, I see the homeless guy, I'm like, and I'm a pastor, and I'm like, mm, I don't know, <laughs> right? This is what he does. This is like, you know, you're, you're at the store, you go down the aisle, and then you see that person, you're like, <laughs> right? And then, and, and, then, and then you're like, you're sitting there, and you're trying to act natural and shop, and they're like, hey, Taylor, and you just act like you didn't hear him, Right? And then they're like, Taylor, Taylor. And you're like, oh, hey, I didn't see you there, right? Right? That's crazy. We're in the same spot. Oh, man. You know? And so basically, we've all done this, right? We do this. Come on. Am I the only, like, person who's not perfect in here? Thank you. Joel in the back. Joel. <laughs> yeah. I avoid people all the time. Woo. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. So basically, we don't, right? This is a human thing, right? So the pastor does this, right? Okay, and then it says, in the next verse, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. So this is someone who assists in the temple. And every day, there you go, there you go. So in every day, you need someone, temple assistant right here. She's a church volunteer, an assistant at the temple, today's standards. Like a volunteer at the church. Like someone you would know, a leader. Emily's perfect. A leader here that you would know that you would say, oh, good. Dude, the pastor, he must have been busy, right? But she's great. I see her preach and minister all the time. Great. So she, it says she walks up. It says, but she also passed to the other side. Perfect. That was perfect. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Okay? It says you just walked by. Once again, walked by. And the crowd, dude, at this time, they would have been like, dude, we can't even trust the pastor and the priest anymore and the volunteers. Like, you're not going to help him. What the heck, man? This is where, put yourself in the crowd, guys. 
and listen to the story. So here we go. It says then this, then a despised Samaritan came along. Who is a Samaritan? Okay, it says, it says the, the Samaritans, for those who don't know, were always like, the good Samaritan, yay, you know? No, like, you don't get what a Samaritan was. Like, a Samaritan, it, it was someone who, they, in past, they were Jews. They were once Jewish people. But they actually, the enemy invaded them, and rather than fighting the enemy back, they chose to marry them and become one with the enemy. This would be like Nazi Germany invading a Jewish area and then a part of the Israeli people say, you know what, we're actually not going to fight you. Instead, we're going to marry you and have kids and make a family. This is what the Samaritan people were. They were a people who married the enemy and became half Israeli, half of the enemy of what they considered to be the enemy of God. And then they brought in their own gods in as well. So now, they're, now rather than worshiping God, they're worshiping all these different gods as well. They are despised by the Jewish people because they look at them and they say, you betrayed us. You were supposed to fight them off and you married them. This is who the Samaritans were. Samaria, if you actually uh, go ahead and show the picture if you have it. Uh, Samaria, it was a chunk in Israel. It was that yellow part right there. And literally, you see the dotted road? The people hated Samaritan people so much that they would walk from Ephraim. Instead of walking through to Nazareth, they would go across the river and all the way around so that they could get to Nazareth and walk through. Jesus is the green line. He actually just walked right through it. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, you can clap. That's a good thing, man. Come on. And so this, that part where they're like, dude, that's a ghetto area. We hate them. They're enemies. Go around, right? This is who the Samaritans were. They were known as the enemy of God, the enemy of Israel, compromisers, like, like the worst. And it was a severe form of racism because they said, because I don't care. They said it, it was like generations had passed, hundreds of years. And they said, well, we don't care. You're part of our enemy, so we hate you. It was like a severe racism going on. And so this is why it says they were despised, okay? So a despised Samaritan comes along. This would be an example of the exact opposite of us as Christians. So Christian, who is considered despised? I, I don't know. We're not supposed to despise anyone. But maybe an atheist. Maybe someone who's like a hippie person who does a bunch of drugs. You see them party and they believe in all these different gods. Think of what is the opposite of Christianity, this is where the people were at, okay? So this atheist guy or this drug dude or this guy who is known in the community to be despised walks by. It says, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over him, this, to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Olive oil and wine were really expensive, just let you know. So he didn't just say like, hair's an Advil, bro. He like gave him the best that he had. Also, olive oil, Jesus's name, one of his names is the olive branch. Now, olive oil represents the anointing of Jesus. It represents light. Wine represents the blood of Jesus and the covenant. Almost as if the thing that can bridge the gap between racism itself is the light of Jesus and the new covenant. This is what he binds the man with, okay? And so he goes to him, okay? And it says, then he put the man on his own donkey. So you see this dude, this, this, maybe this like famous atheist guy. I don't know. Some guy who's known in the media for being hating Christians. Picks up Mitchell who is dead or dying. Picks him up. 
gets blood all over his shirt, puts him into his car, and then this is what it says, and he, and he takes him to an inn where he takes care of him. The next day, he hands the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Two silver coins, to us that sounds like two quarters. No, no, no. A silver coin represented anywhere from two weeks to a month's worth of a wage. He paid the man. Here's a month to two months worth of rehabilitation for this man. So he takes him to the hospital, says he doesn't have insurance, huh? I will pay for him to be here for two months. This is what the man does. Okay? And then it says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Pastor Taylor, volunteer Emily, <laughs> or this atheistic, totally opposing Christianity guy. The man replied, notice how he doesn't say the Samaritan. He won't even say it. He just says, the one who showed him mercy. Because he still has this thing in his heart. He's like, I'm not going to say it was the Samaritan. And then says, Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. So now Jesus, when he says go and do the same, he's not saying He's not saying, you go be like them. He's not saying, you can still serve God and not believe in me, right? What he's saying is he purposely offends them to show them what real love is. He purposely offends them with the one enemy they would have never thought could do this to show them this is what radical love is. When you're able to inconvenience yourself, cost yourself, sacrifice yourself, give it all for the one who hates you. That is loving your neighbor. Oh, come on. And we can't even, that person said one gossip thing about us and we're like, right? And we walk away. And Jesus is like, dude, like you're not even close, man. That is so immature love. Real love is giving it all for the one who despises you. That's how you know you're starting to step in to be like Jesus. By Jesus telling them, he was saying to love the unlovable, love the one who offends you, love the racist, love the one who gossips about you, love the one who lies, love the one who attacks you, love that. Imagine this, imagine the Samaritan guy, or no, the Jewish man who hates Samaritans, okay? He wakes up in his hospital bed, okay? Doesn't know what happened, okay? And the innkeeper is like, dude, someone found you. You almost died and they saved your life. And he's like, oh man, thank you, God. Someone out there had compassion. They saved me. Who is this man? He's like, dude, I don't know. But, but he said he'll come back for you in like a month or two when the, when the money runs out. And he's like, money runs out? Oh yeah, he paid for two months for you to be here and get well. Can you imagine the Jewish man just like, what? He saved my life? And he paid for me to learn how to walk again and learn rehabilitation again. And I, I, if I were him, I'm putting myself a story, I would think every day, who is this hero? I would thank God for this man. I would practice a speech of like, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to find a way. I thank you so much. What can I do? I'm like eternally indebted towards you. Like two months of wondering who your mystery hero is. And then, he, and then all of a sudden, one day, you get uh, uh, the, the nurse is like, hey, the guy who saved your life is coming today. Oh, man, I'd be so nervous. And I'd be like, oh, dang. Oh, I, I, what do I do to say thank you? Okay, I don't know. Like, okay. And then all of a sudden, they say, oh, and by the way, 
Your money's run out, but he just offered to keep paying indefinitely until you get better. And you're like, what the heck? Like, I can't, I can't outgive to this man. Like, this is crazy. Surely this is like the richest, most amazing, incredible man ever. Like, I can't believe it. I can't wait to meet him. And then you're like ready. And then the guy who walks in the door with a big old smile on his face is the one that you know as your sworn enemy walks in. It's like, hey, oh man, that would mess me up. <laughs> like the one person I hate, I hate him. Oh, right. And he is the one who's like, hey, how you feeling? And don't worry about paying me back. I got it. And I'm like, I haven't even found this kind of a love from a Christian. And you're like the most hated atheist guy in the world. What the heck? Like it would offend everything inside of me. Like that, I'm telling you, that was the day racism died for this Jewish man. Like that was the day where he forever, he, his whole life he was taught be racist against these people. Hate him, hate him, hate him, hate him. And that day he realizes, oh my gosh. I'm telling you, he never saw Samaritans like that ever again. And anyone who ever probably smack-talked Samaritans, he'd be like, dude, you have no idea. Not even our people would help me. And this man saved our life. You see, radical love, even towards your enemy, that is the solution to racism. That is the solution to your enemies. Your, your teacher who, who is just slamming, like hating Christians or something like that, you know you're going to win them over? Not by an argument. Radically love them. He might be like, those Christians are wrong, but man, they're generous, <laughs> right? Like that's what, like in his mind, right? How do you win over? How do you do this through radical love? The answer is, do you just walk to the other side of someone who has an opposing personality or an opposing belief or an opposing system or an opposing political party? Or do you find a way, even when it seems impossible, to radically love them? This is what's inside of you, God. Inside. Oh, you'll never. You are called for. This is what makes you come alive inside. Oh, you'll never feel more alive than the moment when you found a way to just radically love your enemy. <laughs> and you're like, dude, that sucked, but it was awesome, right? Like, it's great. I love this. Uh, one of the greatest examples in modern history of a man who did this was Martin Luther King Jr. He found a way when everything was against him to radically love the enemy until he changed the law itself, changed their hearts themselves. And now the enemy that once hated him has a national holiday for him, right? This is what changes things is this radical love. And this is what he says. He said that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That person's a jerk to you, love it out of them. That person's weird or homeless or sketchy or whatever, love it out of them. He also says this. He says that love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. I'm telling you from that day forth, that's, that Jewish man loved Samaritans. He probably sent to them, you know, every... Every Hanukkah, he sends him like a card with his family, you know, like they became friends. I, I would imagine there's no way he could have lived the rest of his life hating this man after what had done. Radical loves turns enemies into friends. So the question is, is your love shallow and only loving to people 
who are like you and you're comfortable with? Or are you willing to choose love, choose the person and tap in to the man inside of you and radically walk in the opposite spirit and love the enemies around you? I'm going to end on this story tonight. Are you guys have time for one last story? Yeah? Awesome. And then we'll have about 20 minutes uh, where we have some questions and some small group time and stuff like that just to kind of get to know each other and process this. Uh, I actually uh, had a crazy honor. Um, I, have a th- I have this crazy honor of actually traveling to and living in North Korea for a while. Um, I lived there for about a month. It was back years ago. And I was there. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just, anyway, I was there. And I was there for a while, and basically there was there was a time when these uh, the guards hate Americans, hate them, like hate them, racist, hate them, because they're taught America enslaved half of Korea, and they're taught they really believe this that America enslaved their people. Okay, so they hate Americans with a passion. And I remember we were looking at our team. Their team was uh, the guard. He ba- one of them said he was supposed to be with us and kind of protect us, right, for this whole time that we were there. And he basically said this. He looks at our team and he says, America's like a horrible nation. This is what they've done to us. And, and basically then he says, uh, and he kind of looks and he realizes everyone on the team's like, oh, dang, like that doesn't welcome us into your country, you know. And But there's two guys on the team who are Korean. And he's like, you know what, we don't blame Korean Americans. You guys were enslaved by the Americans. It's not your fault. And those guys are like, oh, good, he likes me. Like, I'm okay. Okay, and then, and then all of a sudden he looks over and there's five women on the team who are all like ready to cry. And he's like, you know what? We don't, we don't blame the women. We don't blame them. It's not their fault. It's the American, the American men who, the women, they didn't have a say in the war. It was the men. Like we don't, we don't hate American women. And all the women are like, oh, great. And I look around <laughs> and I'm the only white American man on the team. And he's like, it is the white American man who did this to us. And he looks at me, and I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> he, like, hates me, right? Dang it. And so I basically, I go to him, and he hates me, just, just despises me because of my skin color, because of, who I, because of a thing I can't change. And basically, we were with him, and I just chose. I said, I'm just going to love this dude, and I'm going to get him to like me. <laughs> right? And I remember trying to learn Korean, and I would say Korean words to him, and he'd be, like, so confused, like, yeah. Like you, and I would ask him questions all the time. Like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I did this thing where I finally asked him. I just said, hey, can you tell me the history of Korea? I so want to know. And I knew he would have to get to the point where he talks about the war. And so he talks about Korea and the ancient times and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, this is great. He gets to the point of the war. And what happened when America stepped in and messed him? He tells his story. It was totally different than what we learned in school, right? And I didn't fight him on it. I didn't argue with him. I didn't say, no, you're wrong. This is actually what happened. Logically, that couldn't have happened. That doesn't make sense. He would say things like, and then the Americans poisoned bugs and put them in our water. And I'd be like, dude, no, we did not do that. There's no way. We cannot train scorpions to go into your tubes and, like, attack you. Like, but, you know, I could have argued with him. And I did it. I was just like, oh, that's terrible, man. Like, I just listened to him, <laughs> right? And then I basically said this. I said, I said, I'm so sorry for what my people did to your people. Could you ever forgive us for what we've done to you? And he looked at me and he started to tear up. 
and he just stared at me and he said, maybe, maybe one day we could forgive you. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And then I just gave him a big hug and he like let me hug him. From that day forth, he called me. Uh, I actually asked him, can I call you Hyung? Hyung is older brother. And he looked at me and he said, I would really love that actually. And so from that day forward, he stopped being guard. He was older brother. And then I started learning Korean and all this stuff. And I remember we, I, I put myself on his team, right? And uh, whenever we played a game, and I would be like, oh, yeah, like just being goofy with him, right? And just loving him, loving the racism out of him, <laughs> right? Like, you hate me, and I'm going to love you until you learn to like white people, right? <laughs> like, like, you know, and so, so I basically just, I just love him. And, and he would, there's a point where he's like, oh. We're like winning together on this game, right? And he says this to me. He says, Taylor, I think you're Korean inside. And I'm like, yeah, young, right? Like, hey, right? And, and so I, and then by the end, when it was time to leave, he was tearing up and he gave me a huge hug. And he said, one day, I really hope that you could come back. And he said, and I want, I want your children to meet my children one day. And, and he, he gives me this big hug and he said, he said, I think, I really think that, that we'll see each other again one day. And he's like crying up. So the, the guys who picked us up, they said they have never in 10 years seen that happen with a North Korean guard. And then they go on, they find, they basically, I get a call months and months later saying that he had found our local contact and was asking him about Jesus. Even though a bunch of times he tried to prove to me why Jesus was wrong. And I just listened to him and said, well, but we love you, you know? And Jesus loves you. Jesus is not real. I was okay, he still loves you, you know? <laughs> I don't believe Jesus loves me. He believes he loves you. It's okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> you'll, you'll realize it eventually, right? And so basically just loving him. And I get this call and he says, hey, this guy, and, I, and he tried to escape, gets caught and gets sent back in. And they basically said, uh, because luckily he's in a wealthy family, they paid for him to get out before he got, like, messed up. And they said, but he did not stop asking about Jesus. They said, and we led him to the Lord, and then we helped him find a way out. He got out, and we're not sure where he is anymore. And I get this call probably three years later. You know, I'm a waiter, and I just start crying, like, oh, my gosh, I, I made a difference in this man's life. And I didn't argue I didn't do anything but just try to radically love him. Love turns enemies into friends. Right? This is the radical lifestyle you're called to. This is what the world needs. You to radically love them. When was the last time you found the man who was racist against you and said, can I take you to lunch? I know you don't like my color and you'll be offended. <laughs> Can I take you to lunch and not talk about any politics and just learn what kind of sports you like? <laughs> you know, can I, can I, hey, you're on a totally different political party than me. What if we don't talk about politics and we just get coffee and talk about our favorite movies? I'm telling you, it's easy to hate an idea. It's really hard to hate a person once you get to know them. On Facebook, you see their ideas. You're like, I hate them. Person, you're like, that's Bob. You let me borrow my, my lawnmower. He's great. He's super good. He makes great hamburgers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, the guy's a racist, man. <laughs> like, like, you're like, totally opposes it. You know, like, oh, but I can't hate him. It's Bob, <laughs> right? Hate his ideology. Sure. It's super messed up. 
totally don't agree with him. He knows that, you know? But I, but I love him. This is how you change the world, and this is what you're called to. So, Father, I ask that during this small group time, we only have about 15 minutes, but, Father, I ask that during this time that you would open our hearts on how to radically love the Samaritans, the one who offends us, God, the ones who uh, betrays us, the ones who are racist against us, the ones who, who, who hurt us, the ones who purposely come against us, God. Because if we can love them, It'll be easy to love our roommate when they don't take the trash out. Like, God, we ask that you would give us a mature love, that when we're getting nailed, we say, Father, forgive them. They They don't understand. That we would actually defend the ones who hate us. God, I ask that you would awaken a revivalist inside of us, a radical love inside of us, that you would change our hearts, open our eyes to the way you see the people that we're supposed to hate. Open our hearts, change our lives, Father. We give you permission to do this tonight. And Jesus, right now, whatever we're doing to hold you inside in this radical man, Jesus, who loved the people who were nailing him to a cross, right now, we just say we open up that callous, that whatever, that fear, whatever caused that. And we say, Jesus, we choose to let you out and radically love the people around us. Father, as we go into small groups, reveal this to us and show us what we can do to take a step to radically love everyone in our lives, especially the Samaritans, our enemies, God. But we love you, Lord, and we give you this time. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.